You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm here as always with David Ramil. And we are opening up the mailbag today, so let's get right to it. Our first question comes from Jarrell. He asks, what the heck happened to not only the offense, but also the defense for a team that was so unbelievably hot? Dave, that's pretty interesting. But before we get to that, I've got some stats that I want to run by you. Ooh, stats. Ooh, stats, yeah. Start, start with numbers, right? That's what they, that's yeah. what they teach. Um, so between January 17th and March 30th, so the first game of the 13-game of the win streak and, and the recent winning stretch, and March 30th, which was right before that Knicks and Nuggets loss, mm. the Heat had a 110.2 offensive rating, a 102.8 defensive rating, and were a plus 7.4 net rating among the best teams in the NBA. In the last two games, that 110 offensive rating dropped to 104.9. That 102.8 defensive rating increased to 110.1, and the Heat are playing five point. They're they're scoring 5.2 fewer points per 100 possessions than their opponents. A 5.2, a negative 5.2 net rating quite the flip right yeah it's uh it's it's great that you were able to pull out the numbers to to show exactly how bad they've been in those two um particular losses but i guess you could probably make the argument that they started to show some kind of decline and Mm -hmm. not coincidentally it it was uh it coincided with the loss of Dion waiters and i think it, it really shows two things one it does show that individually Waiters is making a hell of an impact, both offensively and defensively. I mean, his ability to stretch the floor with confidence, uh, his ability to drive to the hoop as part of his, you know the, the drive and kick game that we've described on occasion. Uh, you know, he, he was a vital component of that. Um, and I think that's the, the micro view. The macro view is that this team was too delicate, uh, you know, precariously balanced for any one you know major piece to fall off the board and not set things tumbling. And I think that's what it really shows is that um, the team, you know, is is not necessarily as talented. I think they were overperforming. I think you could make the argument. Look, a lot of Heat fans will say, especially with recent comments from Derrick Rose, that the, the Knicks were more talented than the Heat, what have you. I mean, talent is very difficult to gauge. I guess if you were just looking at it from the eye test, you could probably say that maybe – New York has bigger names, but I, I would I think that the Heat are more talented there's across this, the board. Yeah, that that that's a crap narrative. I don't know where that comes from. And, and there's a few reporters that have. Tweeted, I think Frank Isola tweeted like I can't a few weeks ago was like, you know, the Knicks should be ashamed for how much talent they have that they're getting you know outplayed by the Heat like this. It wasn't even like it was when the Heat were on this 13 game win streak, and I was like, sure. Wait, when did we decide that the Knicks were more talented than the Heat? Maybe because you have Carmelo Anthony and like Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah's names on your roster, but like Carmelo Anthony is the only player that's that you could probably argue is better than anybody on the Heat. And I think you and I have already discussed that Goran Dragic is a better basketball player probably right now than Carmelo Anthony. But or oh, I certainly that, had a yeah. better season. What about Porzingis, though? I mean, Porzingis is great, but he's like, he has look, his he, he, he's right. He disappears for games at a time. He's he's inconsistent shooting the ball. Like he's a. I don't want to knock Porzingis. Like he is a future All Star stud. Probably like has all the tools to be a Hall of Famer. I love sure. Porzingis, but let's not act like he's one of the best players in the in the league right now because he's not. You know, he's not even close to where Carl Anthony Towns is. So. I I I didn't mean to interrupt you because I think you were making no a point, no no that, there's that whole 
that whole like no, the Knicks are not more talented top to bottom. The thing that you're you're absolutely I think right on is that this team was delicate because not only do they not have a ton of talent, regardless, like we don't need like we shouldn't even have to compare them to the Knicks because that's like a really low uh, bar to set, but it's. <laughs> They, I mean, they only have 10 it, players that they're playing with, basically, right? 11 players, well, If whatever. you look at it, like, on a 1 to 10 point ratio, mm-hmm. as far as, like, or rating, rather, you know, as far as players, like, let's say a LeBron James or a, a, yeah. a Steph Curry might be a 9 or 10, you know, given on any given night. Miami probably doesn't have anybody other than, I would say, white side that probably tops off at, like, a 7. And, I mean, that's fine, and that's fine. And, you know, across the board... They have less talent, I think, but more depth maybe than a team like New York. But anyway, again, not the, the New York comparison isn't really the case. The, the point is that with Dion's absence, all of a sudden everybody's asked to do more. Richardson rushed, maybe not necessarily rushed back from injury, but struggled at first. James Johnson has struggled with his shot lately. Tyler Johnson, if he has a bad night, all of a sudden you don't have that other secondary score to complement Dragic in the back court and that puts a lot of pressure on either Whiteside or Johnson or somebody else to kind of step up and, and Richardson has shown that he's not necessarily capable of handling that big a load and I think that's uh you know that's you take out one major piece and things start to fall apart a little bit yeah and you look at what Waiters does consistently it's not even that he's like his his hot shooting was an aberration I think for the if you look at the balance of his career but what he what, what he was able to do consistently and what he was able to do consistently in a proven way was just get to the rim. Whether or not he made the sure. shot at the rim or made the right pass, like he was able to just get to the rim. And that puts so much pressure on the defense. And that's yeah. what the Heat have been missing. The spacing's not the same. A lot of it's not the same. And it's hard to put it all on Waiters. And I don't want to put it all on Waiters also because the defense hasn't been great either. And Waiters has been great, on, has been good on defense, but he's not been, he's not, unlike on offense, he really hasn't been a reason why Miami's defense was has been so great this season. But, or really over the second part of the season. He, he does provide a, a versatile body defensively sure. that can guard a number of positions. And I think but I don't that, think that they've lost helps. anything with that with Richardson, right? Like Probably Richardson not. can guard positions, multiple positions too. And he's been actually pretty good, I think. But yeah. But one thing that the Heat have done really well this year is that the random the random scrub Heat killer hasn't been like a thing that we've talked about all season, you know? Like they, right. those random players, like those one-off nights for these random players... The Heat have really done a nice job at not letting those kind of games leak out of their defense. Mm-hmm. And in that, if we're if we're going to focus on this Knicks and Nuggets loss, which has really put Miami in a hole, it seems. Courtney Lee goes off for 20 points for the Knicks. And Emmanuel Moutier scores 17 points for the Nuggets. <laughs> these are things that the Heat's defense weren't allowing before. It's just these random dudes going off for these big Wayne Ellington nights, right? Like, that was the whole point of having Wayne Ellington was so that he couldn't just randomly go off on you for one night. Now all these other guys, you know what I mean? Like, these guys are having these big nights, and that was a thing that Miami's defense was able to do so well. Maybe that's coaching, game but, planning, a, a, a focus, or I don't know what it is, but these, these one-off nights have just sort of happened these last couple games. But not coincidentally, both of those are backcourt players. So right. you wonder whether or not a player like Waiters might have been able to to restrict or hinder them a little bit more, maybe just keep them from scoring a, a couple this points. Just worn down, right? Like the this the the perimeter, the guards on this team do everything for off on their offense, right? Like that's the thing is like Luke Babbitt stands in the corner, Whiteside right. basically at this point, and it's a good thing, but he does he's not the fulcrum of the offense. Like you don't rely on him to create offense necessarily. You know, you throw it into him in the post every once in a while to keep him happy, but that's basically it. 
Like, all the guards on this Heat roster do all of the, the heavy lifting on offense. Maybe it's just wearing them down. Sure. I don't know. Um, that's but you know, who, you know who doesn't get worn down? Ooh. And that's the SeatGeek app that I have installed on my phone, Wes. <laughs> it doesn't. It hasn't been worn down. You've used it so many times. I'm surprised. Absolutely. I mean, and it's just so convenient. It's just so easy to use. You install the app. You open it up, and all of a sudden, you have access to the best price tickets in the country. That's right. I have the SeatGeek app, SeatGeek app on my phone too. It's easy, easiest way I found to shop for tickets. I love it because with SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. They do all the work for you. Take all all that time that you spent in your day searching ticket, ticket websites for the right price. They do all of it for you. And they always find the lowest available price. They help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on the SeatGeek app is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Just hit the big green dots on the app. That's all it takes. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's right. How do you get it? Download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, click add a promo code, enter the promo code LOHEAT, SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first Ticket purchase. That's not. That's enough for like half a T-shirt at a concert nowadays. <laughs> you might get either the right <laughs> sleeve or left sleeve. I don't know. I don't think you get both. Download the Seeky Gap. Enter the promo code LO Heat today. Our next question comes from Taylor Monk. Do yep. you guys think that the Heat would have any interest in Eric Bledsoe this offseason in the trade market? I realize he's only six one, but he could be a potential trade option. Should Dion Waiters' asking price? be out of the Heat's comfort zone. I'm not sure I'd do it, but it's an interesting thing to consider. I don't know why yeah. uh, Taylor threw in that he was only 6'1". Maybe because we're not sure if he'd be able to play next to Dragic as a backcourt guy, but we know he can because that right. worked really well in Phoenix before they screwed it up by bringing in like 800 other point guards. Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, Isaiah Thomas, and they drafted Tyler Ennis, right, or somebody? But they drafted another point guard? Like, there was too many guys. Um, yeah. But... It's an interesting that I, I actually wrote about Eric Bledsoe for for FanRag, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I remember. And uh, the Suns might have to trade him just because they've got a lot of young contracts coming up that are expiring in the next couple of years. And if they want to build on this roster, then they're gonna, they're in a situation where they're going to need cap space. And unfortunately, they have a lot of cap space tied to like Tyson Chandler and Jared Dudley, veterans that are going to be really really hard to unload unless you attach draft picks to them but their whole point the whole point of they're tanking the season they're resting all the veterans the whole reason to do that is to get better draft picks so they're not going to trade their draft picks after they just tank the season so um their only trade asset and their only way to actually clear some cap space to keep guys like devin booker and and tj warren and all these guys is might be to trade eric bledsoe Especially if they end up with one of the top two picks and end up getting either Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball. That make if they if that happens, they're probably going to look to trade Bledsoe sooner rather than later. Bledsoe, let's just look at his contract really quick because that matters. Making fourteen point five million for each of the next two seasons, and then fifteen million in the third season, and that's his last year of his contract. So he's locked in for a below market value. He's having a great season so far. Do you think that would be a good move for Miami? Well, I think he's an interesting player. Obviously, there are concerns 
mostly due to injury. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's he's capable of getting to the rim. He's athletic. He's very long limbed. So despite the fact that he's not particularly tall, I think he's still a very capable defender. He's known for his quick hands, and mm-hmm. and he does get his fair amount of steals there. Um, you know, he, he's he's a solid shooter. He does fade in and out on occasional games, but I think he's a, overall a very good player. But the two words that I think make sure that Bledsoe will never ever be a part of this Heat organization are Rich Paul. That's his agent, known for representing LeBron James. And I think after that bridge was not just burned, but urinated on back in 2014, it's no chance that there's going to rekindling a rekindling of that relationship with Rich Paul. Uh, I, I just don't see that happening. I don't think that there's any way that they're going to be able to to get a, a Bledsoe to agree to a deal. Or, I'm sorry, get the Heat to agree to a deal with Bledsoe. I don't, don't know that Mr. With, they don't want to deal with his agent, right? They said, I don't think we'll so. said, we'll, we'll do it, but you got to fire your agent. <laughs> <laughs> right, the call, like, yeah, I mean, whatever the yeah. GM, what's um, McDonough, the GM, yeah, the, yeah, the Ryan Suns, right? And say, yeah, we'll trade you for Eric Bledsoe, but you got to get him to fire his agent first. That'd be an interesting. <laughs> that'd be an interesting trade kicker. Uh, well, there's another know, reason he's why the one that got him that big deal too. So I don't know right. if he's uh, willing to trade him off. But anyway, but the, you know the other reason that it's not going to happen is that 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 salary. I don't know how the Heat match that. Right, like they'd have to trade Wayne Ellington and Josh McRoberts. And the the Suns would never do that. And maybe you could pick swap with them or or trade your the the draft pick that they select in the middle of the first round. But that's not enough to get Eric Bledsoe off the Suns. Like they're gonna find if they want to shop him. There's a, a lot of other teams that can that can blow that offer out of the water. So I just don't. The Heat don't have the horses to make that sort of trade happen. I like the idea. Dion Waiters is like you know maybe like best case consistent scenario is that like a healthy Eric Bledsoe. You know, like they're both kind of stocky, strong, like well-built guys. Mm. They get to the rim. They can pass. They find teammates really well. Like you said, like not a great jump shot, but it can it can get hot for games at a time. You know, yeah. and make and be like a big difference maker. Good defensively, maybe not. He's probably not as quick as he's definitely not as quick as Bledsoe, but you know, maybe that might be his best case scenario, and that's what the Heat have. I think. I would also be really shocked if if Waiters got more than fourteen and a half million dollars a year. I'd be really shocked. I think he still just has so much baggage, unfortunately, like just a bad reputation in the league. It's it's so tough to yeah. It's it's really difficult to predict. I mean, you know, generally the way it always works out is that one major domino falls, and then all of a sudden that kind of dictates the terms for the the rest of free agency. And you know, I think. From what we've heard and what a lot of people are talking about, you know, last summer obviously was a an opportunity to overspend because you thought you had all this money. This summer might go in the opposite direction mm-hmm. where they kind of, you know, tighten their wallets a little bit. And the, projection, the cap projection wasn't as high as a lot of people thought. Right. Yeah. Right. So you might you might not pay as much as you might normally do. So so I mean, there is the possibility that Dion could warrant an eight to $10 million deal. I don't, I don't know how much more than that he'll get. I think 10 million, that 10 to 12 may, might be the sweet spot there. If sure. one, t- you know, one team might be able to get him up to 12 and we'll see, but all right. I like the idea though. Um, we had a question there from uh, Tayshawn flats. Good Tayshawn, good old Tayshawn. He was always very good that. at submitting. Yeah. He's, he's very good at submitting questions and, and he writes in, do you think Miami would be willing to trade a young player like, like Josh Richardson and their pick to move up in the draft, obviously, by pick the, the first-round pick that Miami will eventually get, depending on where they finish in the standings? 
Josh Richardson obviously uh, inserting the starting lineup in Waiters' absence. What do you think? Do you think Miami would be willing to move Richardson in their pick? To move up for the right player? Absolutely. I think that they would. I, look, you got to look at what this backcourt is right now, and this was the concern that a lot of people had before this season. It ended up being good how, how deep and, and basically uh, clogged that this backcourt was because it seems like one of these guys has been injured for every game of the season at least. So sure. you've got Goran Dragic is locked up for next year. Tyler Johnson locked up long term. Josh Richardson's there. Rodney McGruder's um, he's going to be there under contract next year. Wayne Ellington is under contract next year, even though his sa- his salary is non guaranteed, but he's still under contract for as long as the Heat want him. And then there's of course Dion Waiters, who you know m- might be a priority for the Heat to resign. We'll see. But one, two, three, four. That's five guys without Waiters. Six guys with Waiters. Even without waiters, that's a lot of dudes to keep in the in the rotation. The reason I include Magruder is I know he's playing small forward now, but I think like best case scenario for the Heat is that they find a more lengthy, uh, appropriate small forward, and Magruder probably plays a little bit more minutes at the two, whereas pro- mm. and and you know moonlights a little bit on, at, at at small forward a little bit. But yeah. that's a lot of guys to keep in that rotation. And if you're the Heat and you have you end up with I don't know the 17th pick in the draft and you want to move up to 13 to pick the guy that you you really have an eye on, Justin Jackson, North Carolina, for example, right? Yes. Do you work it out with whoever has a 13th pick and say you pick for you pick Justin Jackson for us? We'll take the guy that you want at 17. We'll give you that guy and Josh Richardson. That's that seems like a really fair a fair trade for the right players for the right team that is interested in a guy like Josh Richardson. I think that's an yeah. absolutely feasible and, and a trade that we've a type of trade we've seen a hundred times in the NBA. Yeah, I, I think it's a legitimate move that Miami would certainly entertain and explore. Uh, you know, they're always active. The phone's always ringing on draft night, even if they don't necessarily have a high pick or a good pick. But uh, you know, on a on a on a season like this one. Where they do have a potentially, you know, mid-round first pick, mm-hmm. um, I, I think they'll look at a, a potential deal. And if they can, if they have to include a guy like Richardson in order to do so, I think they'll be willing to part with him. I, I look, I think, I think Josh is a great guy, a really good, solid citizen. Yeah. Uh, you know, a fun guy to watch on occasion. Had a really great rookie season, unexpectedly great rookie season, and I think a lot of fans kind of, you know, kind of fell enamored of him because, you know, he was shooting lights out for the second half of the season. He played tough defense. And he, again, he's a good, solid guy. So it's it's hard not to root for him and like uh, a guy like that. But uh, he struggled somewhat. And I think there's a, like you pointed out, there's, he doesn't fit an area of need. It's great to have him as a possible backup. But, you know, if you can get somebody that's a little bit more talented, maybe a little bit longer and can play multiple positions, obviously, you know, Richardson can play the three, but I think he does tend to get a little a little gambly on, on defense yeah. sometimes and uh, it's a, to the detriment of the team. So and if you can upgrade the position, yeah, okay. I think there's – yeah, and certain, no, and you're right. Offensively, I think you can certainly get an upgrade over him yeah. as well. And, you know, the Heat have basically committed to Tyler Johnson, and there was an idea that early in the season that the future, the future backcourt was Tyler Johnson and Josh Richardson, and I think they're finding out that Tyler Johnson's probably best suited as a six-man. He's probably not a point – he's not a starting point guard in the NBA. He's too small to be a starting shoe guard. Like, he's a nice combo guard to come off the bench. And I think he likes that role a lot too. So then, so where does Josh Richardson fall into play? Well, maybe he could be your starting two guard, but then Dion Waiters is develops into this this great backcourt partner with Goran Dragic. So does that mean that the Heat 
want to re-sign waiters. Now, if the Heat, re- if the Heat do re-sign waiters, that means your starting backcourt is, is set, Dragic and waiters. You've got you've got Josh Richardson and Tyler Johnson coming off the bench, which would be fine. But then, what do you do with Rodney Magruder, right? What do you do with oh. Wayne Ellington? Like, do you want to trade Richardson just because you have Wayne Ellington? Probably not. But what Wayne Ellington brings you just from a consistent three-point shooting perspective is so valuable. Like, do you do you risk leave, losing that for how this team likes to operate? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, is Josh Richardson's, like, best-case scenario, like, Wayne Ellington that can ball handle a little bit more? I don't know. So... There'd have to be somebody there who slipped yeah. the draft, maybe somebody similar to, you know, something like what happened a couple of years ago with Justice Winslow. Yeah. And I think that that would be the... The kind of move that would certainly get Riley much more interested in, and in, in being willing to move a guy like Richardson, who I think they like, and, yes. and I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they would be happy to keep him because they've already invested time in trying to get him to develop. I think he's bought into the system. He's done everything he could. He, he struggled with injuries. He struggled with confidence. So you know, there's the hope that maybe he'll make a bigger leap in the third season if they can't move him or aren't willing to do so, or that they don't have a deal that that necessarily seems more appealing. Then I'm sure they're happy to keep him, and just Absolutely. like I said, hope that they'll make he'll make a leap. But again, if there if there's an opportunity to upgrade, and they'd have to find a player that they like, who's younger, maybe cheaper, whatever, uh, in the or more talented, and so can make a bigger impact in the long run, I, I think they'll entertain it. True or false? This will be one of Josh Richardson's worst seasons of his career. False. I think he'll have others. I mean, the injuries certainly make it difficult to gauge. But uh, I don't know. I, I, well, maybe I'm looking at it more in the long, in the future, like you know, as he's uh, winding down and towards the, okay, the, okay. the twilight like, of his career. Between now and and when he peaks, whatever that might look like. Then true, yes. Yeah, I think this is going to be a forgettable season for him. I think he's got nowhere to go but up. Um. All right. Next question from Brian Young. When it comes to Gordon Hayward, who we talked a lot about in the podcast last week, what does Miami have that's significantly appealing? over Boston. There's a chance that Hayward could just want to play for the Heat, and that'd be awesome, but on the surface level, I don't really see it. It's an interesting uh, question there. Yeah, it's it's a fair point, and um, I think we, we did a pretty good job of breaking that down. Maybe, Brian, if, you, if you're listening to our mailbag and you haven't heard last week's podcast, we do talk about it in length, and that goes to any of our listeners if you didn't get a chance. But we do break down the argument. Um, you know, there's a lot of things there as far as the overall talent is concerned, the depth on Boston versus Miami, uh, the future of each franchise and how they shape forward. I think if there's one thing that you're going to sell Miami on uh, over Boston, I, I think it's honestly Eric Spolstra. Yeah. Uh, and I think unless, you know, and that's a caveat, obviously, unless that Brad Stevens is able to take his players and this version of the team to that level, uh, maybe even uh, the finals or if not a championship. If not, then I think you see that Spolstra is clearly more capable of doing more with, with less, I think, and, and, and being able to lead a team much more effectively. He's, he's shown that he's already been able to get a team to the finals, albeit one that's much more talented. He knows how to handle playoff situations and things of that sort. I, I think I think that certainly speaks much more highly of Spolster than it does of Stevens. And as great as Stevens is, or maybe even as we talked about, perhaps a little bit overrated in some scenarios, I think Spolstra is, is certainly certainly has the experience. He certainly knows how to handle those pressure situations. And I think that uh, you can certainly show him as not just the, the current face of the team, 
but the face of the team moving forward. At some point, Riley's going to step away from the front office. Spolster seemed like he'd be a natural fit there. He's already the voice of the franchise, and, and I think he'll continue to do so. Yeah, and I took some crap on Twitter, by the way, about... Oh, really? I think, yeah, because I was bashing Brad Stevens a little bit. Ah, and I just, I was doing it. Danger zone, danger zone. I know, I know. And I was, I was doing it in support of Spolstra. Look, Brad Stevens is a fine, is a good coach, right? He's but he's great, like, yeah. you know, top six. Like Spolstra is easily top three. I'm just saying. Like I think he's proven that in four straight finals. Like nobody does that. Four straight finals. Let's remember that. I know he had LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, but four straight finals. Anyway, this. Yeah, you, I mean, you nailed guys it. have is had that, talent on their team before and not been able to get to the finals. Exactly. And look, you nailed it with uh, with the playoffs. There, it's this. I think this this playoff run for the Celtics. If if they don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals, that's going to be a real detriment to how they're able to sell that program. Right. You know what I mean. So this is a really important playoff run for for Boston because the Heat have the luxury of being able to say, "Look, we know how to put this together on the fly. Look what we did when we got Shaq. Within two years, we were a championship team. Right. Look what we did with the big three. We were able to whip together a, a team that was in the lottery to, from in 2008 to uh, in the finals in 2010. Like, we know how to whip championship rosters together. And right. if you're Boston, they've been sitting on assets for years. If, you know, Danny Ainge has been reluctant to make a move. And maybe Hayward goes there and he's like, look, are you guys going to put together the roster now? Or are you going to keep sitting on these Brooklyn picks? You know what I mean? Because I can go to Miami, and maybe they don't have the assets, but I know that they're going to make moves, whatever move that they can, to put a championship roster around me. I think you guys are still going to draft Markel Fultz or Lonzo Ball and play the long game. I want to go to a team that's going to put veterans and championship players around me. Maybe that's the pitch, right? Riley puts the rings on the table and says, I know how to build a winner around you. Maybe he says, remember what I did with LeBron? You're going to be my new LeBron. You know what I mean? Like That's, that's a great pitch, right? Yeah, I mean, I just I'm a little wary of uh, of, of trying to compare franchises because oh, sure, sure. obviously Boston has uh, quite a bit of history uh, to surpass Miami's own. But I, I think it's you know you kind of don't even want to as much as Heat culture has become fashionable to to discuss this season. Uh, and obviously, it's always been a topic of discussion in the past, but I think that it, it's one you kind of want to overlook a little bit when you're you're kind of pitching more about the future, not necessarily what they've been able to accomplish in the past as a, a front office anyway. Because I think Spolstra is really the key there. I yeah. think he can connect. I think he can connect with Hayward at a level that maybe even Stevens could not, and maybe take him to that next level. And look, you know, you're you're going to have an opportunity for exposure in Miami that you didn't necessarily have in Utah. And I think I can get you to a, a higher level than even Brad can. And, right. and I think that might be something that's appealing to him as he continues to grow as a, as one of the team's young, bright stars. I think the opportunity to be coached by, by somebody who has experience coaching great players is, is, uh, is something that would be appealing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look what Spolstra did with LeBron. I mean, it's a perfect example. And he developed Dwayne Wade. And developed Dwayne Wade. I mean, this is what, and Chris Bosh got Chris Bosh to be a, an insanely sure. great all-around player, right. uh, you know. So it took him from like maybe being a Greg Monroe type, really, to being a Hall of Fame player. Like, you don't want to give Spolstra all the credit, but that happened under his watch. A- and you know, I, I this is what I was sort of talking about on the last, you know, when we did the big blowout on Gordon Hayward when the rumors were starting last week. Was that's why I try to like to to underplay the Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward connection is because, like you were just saying, he's already played for Brad Stevens. 
how much more could Brad Stevens unlock from Gordon Hayward? Like sometimes yeah. you just need a different a different tool, a do a new workout program, like whatever it might be. Like he might go like he might be like family friends with Brad Stevens, which he is, but it's it's like okay, like are you going to make me better though? Like haven't you like already maxed out what you could do with me? If he hmm. goes and sees Eric Spoelstra, he's like Heck, you made James Johnson an all-star player. You know, you made Deion Waiters a top 10 player in the NBA last season. I'm exaggerating. What can you do with me? That might be, the you know, what he looks like. So I think you're absolutely right. Okay. Um, I think we got time for this last one. Let's like, do, do it. Do it quickly? All right. Let's do it. All right. Chris Leach asks, if the Heat go whale shopping, who out of Deion Waiters and James Johnson do you see them keeping? Such a well, I think... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question, and I, I think it ties in rather nicely to the question we were just talking about before mm-hmm. as far as Josh Richardson. I think as much as Dion, and again, to our first question, he's proven that he's essential, I would think that he's probably a little bit more replaceable, I think, because you do have some depth mm-hmm. that provides quality defense and scoring uh, similar to what he does. Maybe not in the same way, and that's something you, maybe you can develop with with either Tyler or, or Josh in the offseason, but... Um, you know, I, I think that Dion's a great player, one that we certainly love having here in Miami. But I think when it comes down to wanting to have as many versatile players as possible on the roster, and and certainly considering the the, the change and evolution that he's made this season, I think you'd prefer to have James Johnson. This is such a tough question. I think it depends it on the whale, though, right? Like well, if the Heat end up, no, because if you're going whale shopping, either way, you're going to get a starting quality player. Right. Um, either a forward, you know, either a small forward or power forward, either Hayward or Blake Griffin, right, which are the two most likely options. Yeah. And I, mean, I think I suppose, you'd still like, want James Johnson off the bench. Yeah. I was thinking, like, what if they somehow swing a trade for Jimmy Butler or something like that? Like, well, that's, yeah, that's a whole different, that's a whale of a different color, as they say. <laughs> um, so you think James Johnson? I, I do. I think, yeah. you know, just the way that the, the league, you know, trends a little bit right now. And, and he's shown so much. I mean, the, the kind of versatility that neither of us expected from him as a ball handler, a shot creator, you know, a defender, certainly. Uh, that there, there was always that potential, even though he came and went. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe, so just to play devil's advocate then? Yeah. I'll say Dion Waiters because of this. He's five years younger. He is. You can lock him up on a long-term deal. Like, do you feel comfortable signing James Johnson to a four-year contract? Yes, I think he can. I think he can provide value for that. All right, I do too. But so, but for like, a four-year deal think at like twelve million a year. I mean, like, look, look. Like, I hate was, to bring up four years, sixty million dollars. You had to offer it to one waiters or James Johnson. Four years, sixty. Yeah, I think that goes waiters, right? I'd, I'd go to Dion, yeah. And then the other thing with James Johnson is, okay, if you're trying to find a way to utilize Justice Winslow, has he provided you the template? We wanted Justice Winslow to be like a secondary ball handler. Maybe he's not that, but maybe he's a third ball handler from a power forward position, and we just really lean into that versatility. We don't try to make him a small forward. Let's just let him be James Johnson. He can come off the bench. He could play four. He could play even some five for us. He'll play some three for us. He'll just play all the positions. Mm. And we'll let we'll really leverage his strengths that way, and just let him dominate bench units, and and then play with starters at the end of games. Mm. And maybe maybe if if you're looking at how can I replace that, maybe you look at that and it's like maybe we can replace James Johnson more than we can replace Waiters, or at least we want to 
do that more because we've got this young guy Winslow and maybe we're not we don't know what the future of the Heat team is like what's this road to a contender and can you afford to lock in a 30 year old power forward who's just had the best year of his career that's me that's how I would play devil's advocate but that's again I that's a really hard one if I had to pick between the two that's a really hard decision for me to make but I'd probably go waiters just because of the youth yeah so yeah, good point and because of you know top 10 player in the NBA Dion waiters so. <laughs> yeah no doubt. all right well that's all we have for today Thanks to our sponsor, SeatGeek, the friendliest and smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Use the promo code LOHEAT to get $20 after your first SeatGeek purchase. And whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, thank you for listening. Get in touch with the show on Twitter at LockedOnHeat or by email, or you can send us mailbag questions, comments, or sponsorship opportunities. That's LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. If you're not subscribed already, please do so. That way you get the podcast automatically every day. Then go to iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. Catch you next time. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.